Hey, everybody, Dean Crest back in the studio, straight talk on leadership. What a great week we got this week on our podcast. And this is number 97. And we got the one and only Sheriff for Greenville County, Hobart Lewis, who's not only a friend of mine, but he's also doing a great job as sheriff there. He's got some insights and some things he wants to talk about in terms of just leadership, what he's learned. And uh, man, I think you're going to love this podcast. And so, as we always say, set back, turn up that volume, get ready to change your life. Hi, I'm Dean Chris. Welcome to Straight Talk on Leadership. This is what we'd like to say is the no BS zone, where we give you leadership tips, ideas, and practical suggestions to help you become a top leadership performer. Our goal is simple, help you become the best version of yourself and reach your highest potential as a leader. So sit back, turn up the volume, be ready to change your life. It was uh, two years ago next week um, that uh, Will Lewis was on trial the, the week of the 23rd and 24th. Um, and we didn't know if he was going to get found guilty or not guilty or whatever. You're absolutely right. So it was such a roller coaster of that year and a half waiting on him to go to court. And the whole time, the other guy you mentioned, it was a retired Secret Service guy. He, Johnny Mack was that was his pick. He was going to help him. Uh, the table was really set for him, in my my opinion. And uh, and I wasn't sure. You know, we talked about being a two time loser. You know, I had I had lost by two hundred eighty eight votes in a very close race and highly contested race, and five of us running. And it's a large county with a big turnout. You're on the presidential side of the ticket, so a lot of people come out um, struggling to raise money. And uh, and I lost in 2016. So from there to the prior sheriff getting in trouble before he even got indicted, um, we, me and you talked a lot about the, the possibility of, of kind of having another bite at the apple. Uh, so we went through all that. He finally goes to court. He is convicted on October the 28th uh, that afternoon and was supposed to come back on the 29th for sentencing on that Friday. And overnight, the governor ordered the, the cutoff was November the 3rd. So in South Carolina, if you have more time going to the end of your term, regular term, uh, there's a special election if that seat's vacated. If it's less than the end of your term, then they would just appoint somebody to finish out. So we weren't real sure what the governor would do. We knew what the law was, but it was we weren't. We didn't, he could call that shot November the 3rd or 4th or whatever, but the judge sentenced, uh, Will to one year in prison, effective immediately that day. He was to be transferred to the South Carolina Department of Corrections. So the governor immediately, uh, had the form ready. He faxed it out that there would be a special election in 90 days, which puts me running for about 62 days before the first part of the, uh, the primary. So. Uh, again, a lot of people jumped in it and, um, there was, uh, five of us in this race too, but it was only for 62 days. And, uh, and I called the chief and he said, well, hell, you can do anything for 62 days. So <laughs> I've never, I've never. <laughs> that's just in your wheelhouse. But, uh, so well, that's where that, 
that started. And uh, but honestly, if, if you, you would have to almost live in my world or, or really be close to me to know to see me run in 2016 and see how we ran in 2020 was so much different uh, because I had oh, really yeah. learned. I, I learned what I was made of. I was I was not a quitter. I was not a failure, and I I struggled with that. And uh, you know, with that process starting for me and quitting high school and you know, other things in my life. So, so let's talk about that for a second. You know, when you was at like, like, and I want folks to realize, let, let me set this up. So here's Hobart, GED, no education, fired, failed academy, sergeant at the Greer Police Department, which was not half the size or quarter the size of Greenville County mm-hmm. and working in heating and air conditioning since your last election, preparing yourself to move on, didn't want to go into another agency and try to run again. And I will give you credit because when you decided not to run in 2016, you resigned as a sheriff's deputy as to avoid all that political stuff. So there's a lot of integrity there with you. There's a lot of, of stick to itness with you that a lot of people don't realize, but think about that. So with all those credentials, which are not many, if you will, they're more of a, you know, and no money, no support. You decide to run against a guy who has two master's degrees, direct assistant director, of secret service. Mm-hmm. But I don't think anybody, I think they were measuring qualifications and not heart, because I think that's the one thing that you had that you can see throughout your entire career is resilience and that heart for people. And like you knew what you wanted to be, what you could do as sheriff. And I admire that. Because it was not easy. So talk about that failure. Like, what did you learn about yourself out of that failure? Uh, that, you know, that that really didn't define who Hobart Lewis was. It's, it's a number to me, but nobody else remembers that number. Uh, and not many people really even remember that I ran in 2016, to be honest. But uh, we didn't have a campaign manager. It was uh, me and a really good friend of mine that left here. Uh, he resigned as well. We were running against an incumbent. Uh, Sheriff Loftus was on the ticket as well. So we had resigned and, and we're starting to run and, and we're learning the process and Googling stuff and think we got it figured out. But I didn't Hobart, have, you know, he, he meant a lot. Mention, mention Dale. Let's talk about him a second because that he passed on, man. That guy right there, he meant a lot to you. Yep. He, uh, he was a good one. He's, he was a, uh, He's very dedicated, and then with Dale, there's no half in. You're either all in or just get out. Like he just he did that with everything. And and when we worked together, we worked the road together. He was he was certainly that way, and that was kind of his makeup. Um, so he was passionate enough and believed in me enough that he he had a wife and two kids uh, that were really small at the time. They were six and nine, and uh, quit his job and said, "I'm with." You. Uh, we're going to get this done. He said, if I have to work for you in the heating and air business, I'll learn the heating and air business. So he quit in January and uh, in March of that year in 2015, he uh, had some issues, woke up one morning and had some pains, went to the hospital. He was diagnosed with kidney cancer. And um, so we went from running for office to also taking him to Charlotte once a week for treatments and surgeries and, uh, just an incredible person to be around and, and to just oh, yeah. be with him as he went through that process, he still stayed focused on, Hey, we got a campaign to run. And, 
and he gave it all he had and uh and he tried to leave a lot of good memories with his family he knew he was going to die he had stage four uh from his first diagnosis he was uh had stage four renal cancer and uh so it had spread to his lungs and lymph nodes and um and he continued uh to fight that battle and, and he lived for about two and a half years and Certainly fought a good fight, but but I learned a lot watching him go through that process because mm-hmm. we ran together, but then we lost together too. And uh, oh yeah, and, and you know it's uh had he stayed here, and and that had happened to him, he got diagnosed, it would have changed everything for his family. He would have had continued to have his uh, health insurance, his life insurance, uh, short term disability, and those things that it would have made it so much easier. So. There was a lot of uh, fighting and scratching and scraping to, to keep his household afloat during that process. Um, so it was tough. I mean, you know, it was it was uh, to watch people sacrifice because they believe yeah. in for you to do it. When you have that temporary belief, that you can do something. It's one thing and, and it may come and go. But when you got people around you again, like you talked about at the beginning of this podcast, you surround yourself with really good quality people that believe in you and believe in themselves. You, you can't lose. And um and, and 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 the scoreboard may not go to your favor, but you can't count those as wins and losses. Um, sometimes, you know, again, I think for me personally that uh, I lost by 288 votes, didn't know much about campaigning, but I, I, I do have the ability to connect with people pretty well and, and talk to people. And um, God just laid out a path for me to help figure out who I was and how strong I was and what my plan would really be going forward. I had no idea I would ever run for sheriff again, but I will say when the opportunity came, uh, God had me well prepared. I, I had, I was more ready uh, in 2019 than I had ever been ready for anything in my life. I was unsure, you know, I was hesitant, but um, when the flag dropped October the 29th of 2019, it was, it was on. And, um, Oh yeah, it, it, you would think, and 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 play to my advantage. The uh, the my, my uh, most competitive person in the race uh, didn't feel like I had earned the right to run or earned the right to be the sheriff, and didn't measure up to his standard or whatever he thought the sheriff would be. And I think that played to to help me because he didn't take me very seriously, um, and we had a we had a overwhelming uh, victory in our first primary and then a runoff, uh, he literally, well, you know, I mean, you know, Hobart, what, one thing I can remember about what you said and what was kind of like the theme of that whole race for you was, you know, being sheriff of Greenville County is not about education. It's not about having the credentials. It's about people. It's about serving people and the willingness to do that. And, and I can remember how focused you were on, that's just exactly what you were going to do. I mean, you knocked on doors, you talked to people, you said, look, I want to be your sheriff because I want to help you. I understand law enforcement. Uh, I may not have all those degrees, but I certainly understand when it hurts, when your family member needs help and you need somebody to, to come in and intercede for you. I understand what the law is. And you, you just did a tremendous job of that. I, I don't think anybody counted on your ability to connect, which I think is is one of the best I've ever seen. But I will say one thing about you is you got a PhD in politics over them four years. Uh, and, and you definitely got a PhD in politics when you're uh, the guy that, and we won't mention any names, but the individual who just quit on you because he was uh, 
told by the former sheriff that that was uh, that you weren't his candidate. He needed to choose somebody else. And that goes to show you that when 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 it's when you have to make tough decisions, you need to stand by him. So we're glad he did, because had he yeah. stayed with us, he wouldn't have been all the way in, you know. No, so, no doubt. I, I mean, again, I, God will will certainly lay out people that need you need around you, and and that you know you need to be around them. So uh, it may hurt, may sting a little bit, but um, that's what makes that's what builds character, and and uh, I. I, I can we could replay my whole election or you know my life and some of those things and I I was very fortunate to have a mom and dad that uh, were in the home our entire life together. Uh, we we had a good childhood. I got a wonderful sister and met a, a wonderful girl and married her and I got a wonderful family and all those great things. Uh, man, I just been blessed. But uh, my all that uh, my first day in office of March sixteenth. I, I get everything I want. Like I get sworn in and that was a hassle in itself. They tried to kind of slight me a little bit on that and hold that off. But I get sworn in on March 16th and our whole state shuts down. Like the governor calls and congratulates me. And uh, he says, Hey, I, I just want to congratulate you on an overwhelming victory and wish you the best of luck sheriff. But by the way, I just shut the whole state down. And everybody's like, what? Like, what in the world? See, talk, what is COVID? You know, nobody knew. Well, so. let's let's make sure the viewers know you won five elections to be sheriff. Um, and the first one you won, um, and I was with you that night when you thought you was going to be the best you could do with second place. Yeah, and we were just trying to get in a runoff. You're just trying to get in a runoff. And I can remember when they told you that you'd won by 1,900 votes, how you were – surprised for sure but you were also more determined then it was like okay it's on game on now it's time to this the voters have said this is what they want as their sheriff and we're going to work hard to get that done but but just the perseverance of that and then you win again and now you win by 75 votes 75 percent to 25 overwhelmingly win then you have to run again and then you have to run again yeah. And uh, and I mean, think about this for a second. Nobody has to run for sheriff within a year's time, five times to prove that they're worthy. And yeah. and you're talking about perseverance. And I thought what was interesting was that you had won a resounding victory. And the former sheriff and them were like, well, we're going to wait till this gets certified before we can get you sworn in. And now there's some issues on whether the vote's going to be in or not or whatever. And they and, and just talk, that's just how politics works. We understand all that. And we know all the formalities of what has to be done and they have to do what they have to do. And, and nobody questions that. But the issue is here you are almost at stop and go where you're told you can do it. Now you can't. Now you can. Yes, you can. Now you can't. Now you can't. And it's like, wow. How did you stay focused? Uh, you know, I, I'm not sure, to be honest. I, I don't it's not certainly not just one thing, but um I have uh, over, you know, looking back over my life at, at that time, what I was looking at was uh, I remember when I applied with Greer and I applied with the Highway Patrol and I applied with Greenville County and uh, in 94. And I remember the Highway Patrol telling me, well, you quit school. You're not going to stay here. We're not going to hire you. We're not we're not interested. And I said, well, you know, I got my GD and I've done all these things. They said, now nah, you've already started the process of quitting. 
and and you're going to quit the rest of your life. I'll never forget it. That's the last thing they told me walking out. You're going to quit the rest of your life. And, and, um, and I have, you know, I have quit a lot of different things, not when things got hard, but maybe when I got tired of them or whatever, and I just, I, you know, move on, do something different. You know, I, Lord knows I've, I've owned 40 trucks probably, but um, trading trucks and doing some of that stuff, starting a business, you know, doing whatever. Um, but, you know, one thing that uh, I, I think when people personally kind of call you out and challenge you and they make you or try to make you feel like you're not deserving or you're not worthy of, of doing something in life. Um, it's a pretty big driving force for me. It was, it was all or nothing. Um, my dad had, had just passed away and, um, they, um, you know, so, so he wouldn't here to maybe play off of some of that in this election and, and see that happen. And, um, I had a lot of, Again, I just had a lot of factors really pushing me, and uh, I would call you uh, several times a week, and and uh, you would certainly help keep me on track and, and say, look, you've got to stay on offense. You've got to keep pushing. You've got to – these are things you got to do, and um, you just got to have good people around you that believe in you, and then you got to believe in yourself. And I, I – you were talking about that, you know, uh, 18, 1900 vote difference in the first election. If you remember when they, they called and told me that the Republican Party was on the way over to, to tell me that, and I wasn't just in a runoff, but I was in the lead, you know, I almost passed out in the parking lot. Like I was so, I was, I was just exhausted over 60 days, but then the, the complete shock of, you know, we just beat this guy by 1,800 votes or whatever the number was, it was close to that. Uh, we couldn't believe it. Me and you were outside talking. Everybody else was inside, had no idea what was going on because the TV had only reported about 40% of the, uh, the actual vote. So we were the only ones to know uh, that we got that call from the Republican chairman who was at County Square when they were counting votes. So it was uh, it was very uh, draining, you know, and exhausting. But at the same time, you see that, man, it. you know what? I got out exactly what I put in then and um it was like watching my kids grow up again and, and watching them succeed and graduate from things or finish things you invest in something so much and and then you get the return um that you just weren't expecting and it's, it's far greater than anything you could imagine in your mind um because you, you i was thinking that i'm just worried about beating another candidate to get in the second spot who had done really well and he had he had uh thousands of votes come in there at the last minute and what we're watching on tv he had really come up i think 600 votes separated me and him at the time oh yeah uh, we were we were concerned that we're not even we were like i know we're like oh my god because yeah. all we were getting were late return but that i mean but that you talk about that up and down though but but don't you think like that those challenges now i'm going to say this about going into a leadership role I, I have a little bit of experience of doing that I don't know if anything ever really prepares you for what really you need to know when you walk in the door, but that did help you. You know, that process has a way of, uh, you know, I, I say this, that the world has a way of creating chaos. Now, let's think about this for a second. I have this saying where I say the world has a way of creating chaos to determine who's worthy to work through it. And and I think that you proved that, hey, 
you know what? I'm just not some Johnny come lately here or somebody that was, that was that lost when I lost, I learned these things, but I, I think the world does create chaos to prove who's worthy, who can absolutely persevere through it. And I think that's exactly what happened with you is. So let's talk about your first day. Like, what was that like when you walked into the sheriff's office as the sheriff? Well, obviously I had won and uh, there was an article in the paper that was kind of written with the help of one of my opponents or one of his one of his supporters or whatever that anticipated me failing um, right away. It was, I was the worst mistake Greenville would make in law enforcement. Um, so that was over the weekend before I took office. And um, you read that stuff and it, you know, it you start to question yourself a little bit, you know, like, am I really supposed to be here? You know, uh, what what is my plan? Can I keep the plan I got that I campaigned on? You're thinking about all those things, and and we didn't know anything about COVID or Corona or any of that. Um, so I was supposed to take office on a Thursday, on the 19th. Uh, my election would have been certified, and I got a call from a, uh, a sheriff in Charleston County that was um, still the sheriff down there uh, at that time. I'd been the sheriff for a long time very highly respected. He calls me on a Sunday and he says, Hey, are you getting sworn in tomorrow? And I said, no, sir, it's Thursday. He said, well, you better get down there and get it done. He said, because I know for a fact there, remember I'm, I'm in a special election. So I'm not, I'm the only game in town right now. Um, the sheriff that was filling in, uh, there was some phone calls made and because of COVID-19 and the governor shutting the state down, they're going to stop you entering office until this COVID thing goes away, everything settles back down and then they'll swear you in. So at the time, we didn't know if that would be two weeks, 90 days, you know, nobody knew what anything about COVID here. Um, So he said, if I was you, I would call the clerk court and I would get sworn in first thing in the morning. Let's take a short break from the show and we'll be right back. Hey, Straight Talk on Leadership listeners, I just wanted to take a quick break and thank each and every one of you for listening to our podcast. With your support, Dean Klein to Amazon's bestseller list for his new book, Essential Leadership Lessons from the Thin Blue Line. You can purchase Dean's book at any of your favorite retail locations, as well as our home website. We would love to see you in one of Dean's upcoming live classes. You can find where Dean will be teaching next, as well as buy his new book at www.lhln.org. Thanks again. Now, back to the episode. So uh, I did. I called the clerk of court that Sunday night about 11 o'clock, and I said, "Can, can you swear me in in the morning? And he said, yeah, what, you know, what time? He said, be there at eight o'clock. So they had the paperwork done and uh, took my family over there and I got sworn in. And uh, at first I came over here and I didn't even, I couldn't even get in the building. I didn't even have keys. I, I was sitting out in the lobby just waiting on yeah, Well, you've been locked out. <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't even, uh, couldn't even get my own office. So, so nobody knew I was coming. And uh, so I went over there and got sworn in and we got that done and, and got back over. And I had my first command staff meeting. And I had a, a suit on and 
I had made some notes over the weekend. I knew command staff would be Monday at 10 o'clock. And uh, I remember being so nervous and just sweat. Just I had to take my jacket off and my shirt was soaked. So I had to put my jacket back on and I was so nervous. Uh, I had a legal pad in front of me and I just didn't know where I would even begin. And my voice was cracking. Um, and it, that command staff meeting started at 1030 and I was sitting in my office at 1029 and Everybody was already in there. They didn't know what to expect from me. They didn't even know I was coming that day. And uh, 10.30 on the Monday, I walked out of my office and I made my mind up that, uh, you know what, I'm, I'm going to get this done. Uh, I deserve to be here. I got a good plan. I'm going to put the right people around me and we're going to get this done. And it was a kind of a fourth and goal moment uh, for me personally, not not for anybody else, but it was a, I was extremely nervous and uh, just you know, you don't want to fail and you don't want to let anybody down. You don't want to make the wrong impression. You got, you know, 25 command staff members in there and there's some of them you're looking at, you know, you're either going to move or, or, you know, they're probably going to retire in the next few days after you have a conversation with them or whatever the case, but um, went in there and um, had that, uh, had a, had a great command staff meeting and, and a lot of interaction and laid out my expectations for them um, and told them what I brought uh, to the sheriff's office and lasted about an hour and a half. And I came back into my office and it was close to lunchtime by then. And the governor is shutting things down. No restaurants, no, um, you know, all, no alcohol sales, no you know, mass mandates. And uh, it, we were on the phone all day uh, getting directives from the governor and trying to figure out what we were going to do. And, talking to other sheriffs and nobody knew what COVID was around here or, or what was going on. What, so, what day was that Hobart? When, when, March, what day was it? March 16th? Right. March 16th. Morning. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. And um, so nobody, you know, we got on a conference call with area sheriffs and said that, you know, do y'all have anybody with COVID or Corona and people were getting tested for the flu and it was coming back negative, but we didn't really have any COVID testing uh, set up at that time. So, and, so let let me let me put this story in perspective for folks. So you the first day you're less than so many hours in the job, the governor shuts the state down, yep. which in itself at the time, if people remember back, nobody knew what to do. We weren't yep. sure wear masks, not wear masks, no vaccine. People were dying. I mean, it was it was pretty chaotic. So it, now it, and you had deputies that were developing covid as we speak, uh, and your deputies were, I believe I remember you and I talking and they would at that particular day or week, there was like 19 who had went out with COVID that was in not good shape. It was, it was about two weeks later. Uh, it was the end of March, uh, going into April that we had our first big, uh, we had about 30 people that were out total now about, if I remember, about 20 of those folks tested positive and the other 10 or 12 had come into contact with somebody that tested positive. We didn't have anything in place to deal with that. Uh, we didn't know how to deal with it, but it, it wiped out an entire platoon of folks um, and, and where they had worked together and had roll call and close contact. And uh, yeah, it was it was uh, it was eventful. So, yeah. And, and but let's let's put this in perspective. You lose 30 people about a week, two weeks later, 
Mm-hmm. Now, let's fast forward two months to May 25th, and George Floyd dies. And right. now, not only on the side of you got a really unknown with the pandemic we're facing, now law enforcement changes forever overnight. Absolutely. And in one single incident, protest, people yep. in absolutely that were supporters of police were questioning law enforcement. Ardent supporters were now being tepid supporters of law enforcement. Deputies not knowing what to do. Thousands of people downtown Greenville uh, in an uproar. Uh, I mean, wow. So what's going through your mind? Uh, Well, the first weekend of that was, uh, again, the first weekend in June, we had our first protest that was organized by Black Lives Matter. Uh, the day of the, the media releasing everything that happened in George Floyd was like on a Thursday and everybody started protesting on Main Street in downtown or protesting out here holding signs. And there was, you know, you, minimal amount of people, but they got organized quick uh, and, and got permits to protest downtown. And they were going to shut Main Street down. And we have a very active downtown. It's, it's a great Great place, uh, great restaurants, great stores, and it's it's a nice place. So um, they had got permits to shut all that down and, and protest and come up the road. And uh, not only does the county have a new sheriff, but the Greenville City has a new police chief. So myself and Chief Thompson are learning together and trying to wade through the waters of all this. And uh, we go down there and work the first protest on a Friday night. And um, a lot of people there. We had three more scheduled for that Saturday. Um, and it was different. I mean, it was uh, people. I think what we learned from Friday to Saturday, Friday, we was maybe more defiant. And it was our way or the highway kind of thing. Where Saturday, we kind of learned that, you know what, let's go talk to them. Because everything that happened Friday night, we just weren't clear on the rules. They weren't and we weren't. We, we weren't clear on what their intention was. They're not clear on what we're asking them to follow. Um, so Saturday, we walked down to where one, uh, the first one was beginning and uh, walked down to Falls Park and met with the, the organizers and said, look, this is what we expect. This is where you can go. This is where you can't go because we got traffic continuing to move. Uh, and this is what time it's going to end. Um, and at least it set the parameters. You know, it, it, it didn't go um, the way we had hoped, but it did set some guidelines. And during all that time, you know, there was 2,000 people down there for the second protest that went on into 11 o'clock that night and around midnight. They were protesting all over the state. Um, one thing we did kind of learn from looking back on all that is the relationships that we made because me and the chief went down there personally and talked to them and said, like, the buck stops with the sheriff and the chief. The buck stops. We're holding you responsible because you're the organizer. Uh, but it helped break down some barriers and said, you know what, we're, we're not judging anybody. We're just telling you these are rules. But it helped develop or at least start a relationship with several of those organizers that we still have today. I talked to two of them this morning about another issue. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, um, you know, again, it's it's. 19 months of everything builds on to something else. And it's, it's uh, well, you know, the one thing that people don't realize was how difficult that time was because 
the role of police uh, post uh, Freddie Gray had been that. And during Ferguson, we've been trying to make the minds up on how do we handle protest? And like within a period of three days, you saw a very strong defiant from the police to a very, okay cordial. You guys do what you want, but stay within the rules. And then another nobody did that. So then another defiant. So police were actually developing the their responses right in the midst of the protest. And that is a very difficult time. It's a period of time I call the integration of protest with with law enforcement, meaning that law enforcement integrated themselves into the protesters to now establish the parameters of working together, if you will. Because before it had been, hey, you just do what we tell you to do. And if you don't do it, we'll put you in jail. But that wasn't going to work anymore. And for you yeah. and the, the chief to see that, you know, really shows your leadership, in my opinion, of like of being able to adjust to what the future holds for Greenville County. And I think that says a lot about your leadership. Well, I think one of the one of the most important things that, you know, we I wish we were smart enough to figure it out, but it kind of uh, hit me right in the head was our people were out there. And again, and we, we showed up with the intent. We got on riot gear and uniforms. It's clear who we are. You get out of line, we're taking you to jail. We got plenty of flex cuffs. We got plenty of transportation. We will drag you to jail if you break the law on that Friday. Um, but that night, me and the chief were kind of talking, and I was looking, and everybody had left, and the streets were were vacant, and it was dark, and um, we had deployed some gas and smoke and that stuff. And I told him I was looking at our people; they were all that were left. They were on the sidewalks down both sides, and and there's a parking garage there, and they were just taking their helmets off and they were tired. And um, I think what struck me was. I really looking at them, my question was, had you rather been marching tonight or were you okay working? And and going into the next morning and talking this the next round of folks we would have that would come out and start working the protest that Saturday morning, had you rather be protesting or working? Uh, their answer to me is always going to be, oh, you know, Sheriff, we'd rather be working. But the reality is, uh, you know, that they they've seen things or they feel like or they've had family involved or they've had an experience in some way uh, that they think that they had rather be protesting or, or they feel like they had rather be protesting today. And that we don't do our job like we should. Uh, they don't get a fair shake when it comes to promotions or pay increases or schedules or. Um, you know, what division they get to work in. I mean, we had weeks and weeks of those conversations. Honestly, it went on for six months. We actually met with our minorities and said, look, we need some input, you know, and and finally we started to have some good conversation, good quality conversation where they felt like they could talk. But, yeah, it was a, it's a different time. You know, this is not um, – you're not going to carry a riot stick and beat on the side of a shield and demand that people go back into their hole. That's not happening. Um, well, this is not are, your your daddy's law enforcement or mine, no, no, policed sir. in the same era. And right. uh, yeah, I knew your daddy and loved your daddy, and your daddy was 
pretty much a very direct policeman, my way or the highway, just like my dad was. That's what they were trained. That's what they learned. But the fact that you understood that really shows the flexibility and the leadership that you have. And I think the citizens of any community, that's what they're wanting out of their sheriffs and their police chiefs says, hey, we got to figure out the best way, not my way, your way or the highway, but the best way to move and lead forward. And I, and I think that's why it's difficult sometimes because sometimes leaders, they want to do what they've always done because it's easy. Well, and it, it, it's comfortable, you know, and, and, and it's, uh, it's, it's very difficult to listen to people who are complaining and you feel like you let people down if you give in to them. But sometimes people just want to be heard. And, and there's a lot of folks that come in here that bring a lot of valuable information in here that, that we don't know about. So yeah. it can't just be my side versus your side. Uh, it's 2021. People want to be engaged. They want mm. to be a part of what's going on. They want to be a part of your department. Um, and it's, you know, it's very, very difficult uh, and fragile to, to allow that and not let it get out of hand. If you look at what's happened across the country, but uh, I found the easiest way is just be fair and be honest with people and be accessible um, and listen to them. You know, don't cut them off, don't do any of that stuff, but really listen to them and, and let them know that you hear them and then let them know these are things you can do and what you can't do. And and again, we got right now, I mean, we got a great relationship with um, all of our activists. It's not us against them anymore. It's we're all working right. together. They help us well, out. I think people can see why you, your leadership, they're really proud of your leadership. And I think they can see just in listening to you why you were the right choice to be sheriff, where you just understand the times, you understand how to connect to people. Now, I'm going to give you a chance here for a second before we get off this podcast, because I know you got a really busy day ahead of you. But let's brag on some of your folks. What's some of the stuff you guys are doing down there that are best practices or, you know, what what's going on down there in Greenville? county that you want to share because you know we have podcast listeners uh, th this is something that kind of i was looking at our podcast on across the globe right we got people in australia listening to us we got people in england we got people in and believe it or not like china listening <laughs> to our podcast i mean it's crazy we got people all over the world and they may not know you know greenville county but give me some best practices some stuff you guys Brag on some of your folks down there about what y'all you're most uh, proud of and what you guys are doing. You know, when I came here, we had 68 vacancies, uh, which has been extremely difficult uh, to try to work around. But now we're down to about 21. So, so we have really good quality people. Out of the 705 that we have, uh, they do a tremendous job. But one of the things we saw when we got here is on missing person cases, and cold cases that we we didn't work cold cases and we didn't respond to any missing person case. Uh, you call us on the phone and tell us you your teenager is missing. We put do a report, put them in NCIC. We'll call you when we find them or when somebody else finds them. Uh, so now we show up. You have a deputy respond in person. Take that information. Uh, you deserve that. People want to see a deputy show up. Uh, at their home, especially if it was if it was my daughter or my son that was missing, I would expect that. So as those things happen, that has developed into an enormous amount of information on older cases or even a current missing person case that has turned into uh, it, it's going to be 
really responsible for solving a number of crimes all up and down the East Coast, uh, significant, serious crimes. So people are invested. Uh, we have we have 100% buy-in. We got great folks. They're doing a great job. They're serving us well, and they're representing us well. Uh, and I think they feel good about what they do. Um, our recruiting uh, department has done a tremendous job of recognizing that we can't continue to recruit people uh, like we have in years past. We have a five-year marijuana use policy and a 10-year hard drug policy. If you're listening to this and you work with a law enforcement agency anywhere in this country, um, you know that's going to knock out about 70 to 80% of your applicants right away. Kids that come out of college have experimented with marijuana in the past five years. So recognizing that and trying to find a, a, a national average uh, to some degree uh, has been a challenge, but we've changed that to one year, and we have really gotten some good people since we've done that. Um, and, and again, this you know marijuana use in South Carolina is illegal. Uh, they are trying to get a law passed to make it legal. Uh, I personally, as the sheriff, hope that does not happen. Um, but um, we do have a lot of a lot of young applicants that have tried some form of ecstasy, uh, cocaine, uh, opioids, uh, marijuana, you name it. So, you know, is the old rule of five and ten was just really outdated. I mean, we were missing a lot of good folks. So. Um, but our, our recruiting people recognize that. And I think one thing that's changed since I've been here that wasn't here when I worked here, um, I worked for more of the old school sheriffs here, and it was their way or the highway. You do it because we've always done it this way. It, it was not open for discussion. Um, now it is. And there are some people here that, uh, that recognize in their divisions we need to do things a little bit different. And uh, and you have to listen to them. So if I could give any advice to anybody out there listening, whether you're running a business or you're running an agency, no matter what the size, listen to your people, invest in your people, uh, help them believe in themselves because they are they are they are shining stars, uh, no doubt. And they are few and far between when you get an opportunity to really listen to somebody who's got a great idea and help nurture their belief and their dreams. Uh, Chief Chris used to tell us there's million dollar ideas riding around in a $25,000 car. Now them cars cost us about 60,000, uh, <laughs> but it still holds true. I mean, our people are out there working and they got some great ideas, uh, invest in those folks and help them believe in themselves. Um, I'm telling you, they, that is, that is the future of law enforcement. And if we don't do everything we can to feed and water and nurture that and watch that grow and train our replacements, then we've, we've done an injustice to, uh, to whatever part of the country you live in. Man, some wise words there from Sheriff Hobart Lewis. I, first of all, let me say how proud I am of you. Uh, you. You've run that sheriff's office on your own. You took what you knew. You've learned all your life lessons. You've taken them and it, you've had to apply them there. There's very tough days there at that sheriff's office. Anytime you're in a leadership role, it's never going to be easy. I like the old Navy SEAL Team 6 mantra. The only easy day was yesterday, That's and it's right. going to be very difficult for sure. But I'm so proud of you, and I'm proud of the folks at the Greenville County Sheriff's Office for, for what they're doing for that community. Uh, they deserve a sheriff like you. You know, good luck to you, Hobart. Keep working hard, man. I know you will, and I know you love people at the core. So 
You know what? I want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. What a, what is that tremendous podcast today? So, folks, hope you've enjoyed it. And until next time, I'm Dean Chris. You've been listening to the Straight Talk on Leadership podcast with Dean Crisp. Be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast in iTunes or Spotify so that you do not miss a future episode. Also, please visit our website, www.lhln.org, where you can find the show notes, links provided by our guests, and learn more about the Leaders Helping Leaders Network and our upcoming classes. Until our next episode in the No BS Zone, be sure to put your leadership into action every day. Thank you for listening.